Welcome back to the podcast on Binding the Bible. This is episode 173, Sensitivity and Love. And on the podcast this week, I want to pick up where we left off in Matthew chapter 7. And today we'll look at verses 6 through 12 in what I think is an entire unit meant to be read together. And so this may be new to some of you. You may disagree with what I say and what I see, but I hope to explain at least clearly enough why I see this passage as a unit, but why I think this really helps tie together not only what Jesus taught us in the first five verses of Matthew 7, but really culminating a lot into what really would make the Christian community stand out in a world that is filled with judgmentalism and unjust criticism. And so I hope this is an encouragement for you. If you've never thought about these verses in this way before, I hope that it will challenge you, strengthen you, give you some new insight into how you might approach friends and family um, in your own life. And so without any more of an introduction, let's just jump right in and see what we come up with. To begin this week's episode, allow me just to read Matthew chapter 7, verses 6 through 12. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, as I shared in the introduction, I actually think that the section I just read is all tied into one unit. And what I'd like to do is kind of just walk you through an explanation as to why I think that. If you remember back when we read Matthew 7, 1 to 5, and Jesus's exhortation and command for us not to judge, but to take the log out of our own eye so that we might see clearly how to remove the speck from our brother's eye, a common objection that I have received personally um, on several occasions at my time being a pastor is people kind of throwing their hands up and saying, well, then what are we supposed to do? Are we never supposed to make any type of judgment call? Are we never supposed to, you know, critique the actions of anyone? Like, are we not supposed to have any standards? Is that what Jesus is getting at? You're telling us we can't judge. Well, then that must mean we aren't aren't really to make any distinctions between what's right and wrong. Like that seems to be the opposite of, of everything I've ever believed. And I get the frustration because people initially have grown so comfortable with the idea of judging other people that they've blended together um, several concepts that the Bible uh, talks about and they failed to make a distinction there. And so what's really interesting about the flow of thought, especially after you read Jesus's um, 
teaching us not to judge other people is that he says in verse 6, which is the first verse that I read today, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, what's really interesting about that phrase is that when Jesus says, don't give um, dogs what is holy and don't throw your pearls before pigs. So Jesus here in some sense is speaking about something that is holy and something that is extremely valuable. Now, there's a lot of discussion about what this might mean. Is is this the message of the kingdom? Is this the, 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 the value that you offer to somebody else in the world? Is this maybe your kindness or according to verses one through five, your refusal to unnecessarily be harsh with certain people. I'm not exactly sure what it might be, but what's interesting about what Jesus says here is that he's actually requiring us to have a bit of discernment here. He's calling us to be able to recognize who and where situations are going to rise where us offering what is holy or offering something of value, you know, as in pearls, is not going to be rightly appreciated or rightly valued as something holy or as something valuable. So the phrase dogs and pigs isn't to belittle another human being. It's to recognize that animals such as dogs and pigs don't find any value in the kinds of things that you and I find value in. And so what Jesus is doing is he is allowing us to have discernment, to make judgments, not a judgment that we are better than someone else or that someone else deserves punishment or that we hope another individual gets what's coming to them. This is what Jesus has to caution within the motives of the human heart is the all too common tendency to size other people up against a standard that we ourselves aren't even held to. And this is what's so rampant in our world is this idea that you're doing something wrong, you're going to get what's coming to you. And I've heard numerous Christians imagine that God's approach towards those kinds of people is one of anger and hatred and wrath that he is just biding his time before he's going to pour it out on those individuals. And what many Christians don't seem to understand is that that view is feeding into this idea that we want others to get what's coming to them. And yet we would never for a moment imagine that God holds the same posture or same stance toward us for the very same kinds of sins. In fact, Paul picks up on this in the book of Romans, and he's talking to several people who kind of see themselves, the Jews in the church of Rome, as being better than the Gentile group because they were specifically chosen by God and called by him. And in chapter two of Romans, which sadly is known far less than chapter one by people in the church, which in my mind simply confirms that we tend still to imagine that the really sinful people in the world are those outside the fellowship of the church and not those who are on the inside. And the reason why I think that's the case is because most Christians would be familiar with the contents of Romans chapter 1, but far fewer of them are familiar with the contents of Romans chapter 2. 
And that simple reality simply confirms my suspicions that the Christian community still thinks the real problem in the world is the world, not them. And Paul has to address this to a Jewish context who saw themselves as particularly religious and particularly closer to God because of the way that they lived. And here's what Paul says to them. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Now, this is a verse I want to come back to, at least in spirit, whether I quote it again or not, I'm not sure. Um, This was at the end of my notes, but it seemed fitting to bring it in right here, that God's kindness is what leads people to repentance. And so, as I said, we'll come back to this in a few minutes. So, Jesus is here explaining to those who are, he is forbidding from judging other people, but he's not forbidding them from being discerning recognizing that in certain situations, we might need to be cautious about how much of what we value and what we have to offer is or is not going to be seen as valuable by those we share it with. And this is where discernment comes in. And and Proverbs is filled with things like this. Proverbs 14, the wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way but the folly of fools is deceiving. Or Proverbs 17, the discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. Now, so here's Jesus giving us an an option to be discerning. And yet, as I've already said, it's super tempting for us to imagine that all we are doing is being discerning. All we are doing is applying the right use of our knowledge to the world, and we find very quickly that we end up judging people harshly too much and not being willing first to take the log out of our own eye before we are able to take the speck out of our brother's eye. Now, that was the thrust of what Jesus taught in the first five verses of Matthew. And I may not have said this the last time, but I'm going to say it now. Understand that Jesus recognizes that part of the point of removing that log is so that we can actually offer help to a person with a speck in their eye who may need our help. So here we are to be an encouraging group of people who offer real hope, real holy things, real things of value to the world, but recognizing the simple fact that the way we posture ourselves in relation to those people, whether we have a plank in our eye and pretend that we don't, or whether we harshly judge them and criticize them, not knowing that we who judge them do the same kinds of things. This is what Paul was saying in Romans chapter two. 
Jesus is here now saying, don't give what is holy to dogs and don't throw your pearls before pigs because they're going to look at these things, see no value in them, be eager for food, recognize that what you've given them isn't food, and then turn and attack you both for deceiving them and giving them something that in their minds is worthless, but also because they are still hungry. And I guess if you're not going to give them food, maybe they'll turn and treat you like food. It's really hard to know exactly what Jesus is intending, but I've found that as I read through Matthew chapter 7, and I get to the end of verse 6, where Jesus has encouraged us to use discernment, I'm left with a conundrum. If I am honest, and I am open, and I am willing to be a true help to someone in need, but am very, very aware of the fact that I might have a log in my own eye, and that I might be unnecessarily judging another person for the position they find themselves in. I want to be someone who is discerning, but I don't want to end up judging them unfairly as a result of my discernment. I might say, Jesus, you're calling me to be discerning, but you're forbidding me from judging. How do I know that I'm doing it the right way here? How do I know that I have actually dealt with the log in my own eyes so that I'm in the right frame of mind and spirit to help a person with the speck in theirs? How do I know that I'm exercising discernment that's in line with who you are and not just in line with me wanting to get my own way? How do I know that I'm not unfairly judging a person and thereby breaking this very clear command of yours while imagining myself to be filled with nothing but honest, um, innocent discernment in this world. If we are truly followers of Jesus and want to not only honor him, but want to be rightly suspicious of our own motives and truly be a blessing to the world, I hope we find ourselves in a place where we are continually asking, God, how do I do that? How do I make sure that I'm not tipping the scales one way or the other? How do I make sure that I'm honoring you and honoring my neighbor? How do I love you and love my neighbor and not get in the way of both? I think that's a fantastic question. And I think when Jesus says in verse 7, which is the very next verse, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock, and it will be opened to you. When I read Matthew chapter 7, I see Jesus answering that exact question. How will we know if we are judging or being discerning? How will we know if we have adequately dealt with the plank in our own eye and have not been dealing just with the speck in our brothers and pretending that it's a plank? How will we know? And what does Jesus say next? Ask, and it will be given to you. Now, I've noticed in the past a lot of connections between the book of James and the Sermon on the Mount. And I see one right at the beginning of the book of James. And so let me read it for you here. James 1, 2 to 5 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. 
for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Now, in this passage, many of you might be familiar with verse 5 in James 1, which says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And I think that fits very similarly here. We want to know, are we looking at this situation rightly? Are we truly helping our neighbor? Are we doing for him or her what ultimately needs to be done? But in the context of James, I think it goes even deeper. Because he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, challenging situations, situations where you don't know how to navigate your way out, situations that you are confronted with that are um, hard for you, that are difficult for you, that try your patience, that try your wisdom, all of it. Because he says, for you know, here's why you should be excited, my brothers, and count it joy, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It produces perseverance. That's the only way that perseverance can be produced is having your faith tested. Let let steadfastness, let perseverance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But I've found that a lot of times in life, it's hard to know how the trials I'm facing are producing perseverance. It's hard to see them when they happen. It's hard to make that connection and allow God to do the perfect work in us that he wants to do. So how are we going to know how those trials are producing perseverance? How are we going to know that we're supposed to count it joy when we face these various things? When when we initially face them, joy is the last thing on our minds. How are we going to make the connections between what's happening in our lives that we wish wasn't and the fact that we know now through these things, God is clearly at work? How are we going to know? If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. If we lack the wisdom to know how trials are to end up producing perseverance, and if we lack the wisdom to know how to be joyful in the midst of trials, we should ask God, and he will show us I think Jesus's exhortation in Matthew 7, 7 is teaching us the exact same thing. How will we know that what we are about to give someone they're unprepared for? How will we know whether or not our plank is too large for us to adequately see how to care for our neighbor? How will we know that we are truly executing discernment for their benefit and not just for our own Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, 
How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How much more will he give us the wisdom we need to navigate this situation so that we might truly be a blessing to our neighbor? Not a person who takes their knowledge of God or their knowledge of the Christian life or their knowledge of what it means to be righteous or it means to be a good person and uses it to beat someone over the head with, but rather someone who genuinely can step into the shoes of another who sees the actions or the beliefs that they have and genuinely wants to offer them help for how it would really benefit them, not for how it would benefit you as someone who has now been appointed by God in your own mind to point out that other person's faults. This is what's really going on. And then Jesus lays out this comparison. He talks about us with our own kids. Our son comes to us and asks us for food. Are we going to give him a stone that would be useless to him? If he asks for a fish, which is something that he can eat, are we going to give him a serpent? We know how to give good gifts to our kids. How much more will our Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And wisdom is one of the greatest things that we can get from the Lord. You know, it was when Solomon first became king. And God approached him and said, what will you ask of me um, for you to be able to be king? And Solomon humbly and rightly says to the Lord, I don't know how to lead these people, this great people that you put together and, and gave to my charge. I, I don't know how to tell my right from my left, my, my going out, my coming in. I'm not competent. I'm not capable of adequately leading these people. I want your wisdom so that I can faithfully and honestly lead these people the way you would want them led and the way they need to be led. And the Lord in this response says, because you have asked for wisdom and you have not asked for riches and you've not asked for horses and you've not asked for all of this wealth, I'm going to give you the wisdom and I'm going to give you all the rest of these things as well. And I really see this theme repeating itself. Solomon did did not live this out the way it should have been. Uh, Solomon received the wisdom and shortly after this um, scene, he displays his wisdom and and handling a a very um, tricky um, judgment that he has to make between two mothers warring over a a baby and which baby, you know, which mother actually belonged to the baby and vice versa in in this this whole scene in the Old Testament. But Solomon's request for wisdom was for the purpose of being a blessing to the people and honoring the Lord in how he chose to lead the people. That was his whole point. And if you think of Jesus summing up the law and the prophets, it is love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Solomon's request for wisdom as a brand new king was solely focused on both of those and only those. And so Jesus says, if you want to know how this works, ask me, seek, knock, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. 
He then gives this comparison, as I just read from verses 9 to 11, about a son asking for bread or asking for a fish and a good father giving him those things and not something that he's not going to be able to use. And then verse 12, which is oftentimes quoted all by itself in the Sermon on the Mount. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, in my mind, as I read this passage, this is one continuous thought. Don't judge one another. If you've got a plank in your own eye, remove that first, then you're going to be able to see how to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Oh, but does that mean we can never have any discernment in life? No, don't give what's holy to dogs and don't throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them and turn and attack you. Okay, well, how do I know if I'm just discerning or if I'm actually judging? How do I know if I've removed the plank, if, I've, if, I'm, if I'm approaching this person with too much judgment in my heart? How do I know if my motives are impure or if they're mixed or if I just like the feeling of being able to tell somebody that they're wrong or that they're standing under the judgment of God, what have you? How do I know? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. God wants to give his children exactly what they need so that they are capable of rightly and properly loving his other children, i.e. their neighbors, and honoring him. And then he says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Imagine if somebody saw in you something that they perceived was out of step with the truth. They saw in you what they will later identify as a speck, not a log, a speck. And before they ever approach you about that problem, they analyze and assess themselves and see the log that they have in their own eye, which first needs to be removed before they ever open their mouth in response to you. They then do some internal work and truly assess what's going on in their heart and what their motive is for bringing this up to you in the first place. And whether or not this is something that's truly out of step or um, with what God wants for you, or whether it's something that just irritates them and they really want to get at you for doing that thing. So they pray. They ask God, they seek, they knock, they, they search for wisdom, and they're confident that this good father that they worship will lead them and direct them to exactly the way to approach you exactly the way to deal with their own hidden motivations, exactly the way for what they say and how they say it to be received by you in such a way that you truly know they care for you and seem to have gone to great lengths to make sure that they're not unnecessarily offending you by what they say, but that you genuinely know they care about you. How many of you if and when someone approached you with that level of, not intensity, but that level of, of um, focus and, and concern and humility, be much easier to receive what they have to say to you than if they just walked up and just blasted you with something. 
Have you ever been confronted by a friend or by a spouse or a family member or someone in your church and you just receive it as this abrasive, um, somewhat tactless, uh, cold, distant, impersonal uh, critique or rebuke? How well do you receive that? How does that sit with you? Do you bristle in response? Do you offer um, critique for critique? Do you just lob an insult back over um, to them because of how um, insensitive they were to you? We know the kind of world that this creates, right? You can see this every day online. You can see this um, in in many um, broken relationships. You can see this in families. You can see this in churches. You can see this on our partisan political spectrum. You can see this on on television, in the in the newspaper, wherever you happen to watch social interaction. What Jesus is exhorting us to do here, and while the golden rule, as it's often called from verse 12, really could apply to anything, I think the fact that it says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, I think Jesus is connecting it here to why I've titled this Sensitivity in Love for this episode. A sensitivity is a recognition of of some other things that might be going on. Not that you're overly sensitive, right? You're just an emotional person. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a discerning heart, a, a sensitive heart, a heart that recognizes a lot of the moving parts involved and uses God and his good fatherly nature for guidance, to ask him the best way to go about approaching this situation, both for his honor and for the flourishing and receptivity of the person I feel I need to offer this help to. So, put yourself in their spot. If someone identified something in you, would you not want them to take the time to check their own heart to deal with the logs in their own eyes, to recognize that whatever it is they feel they need to say to you, they're not above you. They're not better than you. They don't give off that aura when they talk to you. You know perfectly well that they don't see themselves as better than you. They don't think of themselves as better than you. They have done the hard work and they've done the heart work of dealing with their own logs in their own eyes and have spent time and energy in prayer seeking God to reveal more of that to them and to show them creative, wise ways of approaching you for your benefit in a way that you would receive and know that they truly love you when they do it. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, that's what I want you to do for them. Not judge them, not criticize them, make a discernment, ask for my leading and my guidance to know exactly how you might go about that and then take a step in that direction. That's what I think Jesus means. It's sensitivity and love. And it's recognizing that according to Romans 2, as we've already read, if the kindness of God is what leads people to repentance, 
then the true question has to be, how kind are we if we are bringing up something to another person that we believe is making their the way they see the world, um, it's hindering that, or it's getting in the way of their human flourishing? Do we think it's our job simply to declare to them cold, distant, and, and um, uncaring that their actions are sinful and then just step back and, and do nothing about it? Like, how have you received that when that's been offered to you? People aren't interested, nor do they often change their minds about life when you win an argument with them. At least I've never decided based on losing an argument that somebody's logical approach to life makes me want to change mine. If that person is a jerk and the way they present their information, I may very well be tempted to write off the logic behind their words because a person who is cold and distant isn't relying upon relationship. They're not relying upon love and care. They're, re- they're relying upon being right. And that's fueling their ego more than it's actually being offered to give me real help and assistance in this life. I hate it when people do that to me. Absolutely hate it. And so when Jesus says, whatever you wish others would do to you, do also for them. Spend some time praying and asking God for the wisdom you need to be able to properly navigate this and keep praying, keep seeking, keep knocking until he answers you. Knowing, as Jesus says, that as a good father, he will answer you. He will give you what you are seeking because like Solomon, you are seeking the one thing that we claim doesn't come from us. We are not wise in our own eyes. We are not the gainers of wisdom. You do realize that all the way back to the Garden of Eden, all the way back to the fall in chapter 3 of Genesis, the, the, the issue of the fall itself is verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Chapter 2 of Genesis, before the fall ever happens, talks about the trees in the garden being good for food and a delight to the eyes. So when Eve notices that this tree is good for food and a delight to the eyes, she has done nothing wrong. Every tree in the garden was described by those two things. What makes Eve's decision wrong and what brings sin into the world is when she says that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. The essence of sin is the belief that we, apart from God, have the knowledge we need and the wisdom we need to navigate this world. The sin and the deception and the lies of this world is that we don't need God to be wise. We just need ourselves. 
and we see everything exactly as it is, and we know every insight and every, every detail about every circumstance, which is precisely why Jesus forbids us from judging, by the way, because we don't know the whole story. We don't see inside the human heart. We don't know the factors that are at work, either helping or hindering a person in the decisions that they come to make. But Eve looked and said, I can get wisdom by taking this fruit, not from maintaining my communion with God and by daily asking him for the wisdom that I need. This is what Jesus is correcting. And boy, oh boy, do we need his correction. Because we live in a world right now that is filled with people who are convinced that they are wise in their own eyes, that the way they see the world is good and right, and that others who oppose them should simply be blasted with their understanding of the truth such that they back off. And Jesus is like, that never works for you. Why do you think it would work for them? Why are we in these fights where we're just lobbing truth propositions back and forth to one another, upset that people don't adhere to our version of truth? We're not in a losing battle as Christians because Jesus never called us to fight that battle. What Jesus has called us to do is to be so sensitive and so kind and so loving toward other people that we get on our knees before our Father in heaven, our good Father in heaven, and ask him for the wisdom we need to properly navigate in love and in sensitivity and with truth a world that is very, very challenging to navigate. And it is not one that concludes that because we as Christians have the truth that we just get to stand off and just blast people with it. That's not what he's called us to do. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, not us. And what kind of life are we inviting people into by the truth that we share? And what is the way by which we speak the truth? And how are we welcoming people to want to follow this Jesus? Not out of fear of punishment if they don't, but because they see the life that could be theirs and the freedom that is offered to them through following Jesus. That's where we should be as Christians. That's what he's called all of us to. And I think when he quotes the golden rule, again, as we've called it, he's attaching it to the way we treat other people, the way we refuse to judge the way we get on our knees and ask him to help us decide if it's discernment at work or judgment at work. Have we, have we adequately dealt with the log in our eye before we go seek out someone else? Do we have an understanding heart? Do we have a heart bent on wisdom or do we think we already have all the wisdom we need? Trust me, when it comes to having hard conversations with people, especially if that person is on the receiving end of a critique, They can tell pretty quickly whether you have decided within your own mind that your opinion is right and they just need to hear it or whether they can tell that you have spent a lot of time and a lot of focus in the presence of God becoming the kind of person who is able to help navigate a very difficult situation for their actual benefit. People can tell. It's not that hard, but what Jesus is calling us to is to be the kind of people who choose first to deal with our own mess before we appoint ourselves to go deal with the messes of others. So that's all the time we have for the podcast this week. Thanks a lot 
for continuing to tune in. I continually get messages from several of you listeners, and I'm always excited to receive those. Um, summer's been crazy around here. We've got two kids going off to college in a couple weeks. Um, our daughter's been there already. Our son is going um, the day before um, for his first year of school, and so this month is a little bit busy, and uh, we're visiting some family as before our kids go off to school and um, so I may not have an episode for you next week, but keep tuning in. They will be coming um, as quickly as I'm able to get them out. And um, thank you again for listening in. And I hope you have a fantastic week. Talk to you next time. You've been listening to Unbinding the Bible. If you find these episodes valuable and you haven't already done so, please leave a rating or review or both on whatever podcast app you choose to listen to these episodes. And then go and share one or more of your favorite episodes with a friend. You can also reach out to Joshua with any comments or questions to unbindingthebible at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and have a great week.